told him I was going to be here today, and he gave me some dirt on you, actually. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Erica Komecki. Erica, thank you for being on here and being patient as we get started and grind through. I'm going to ask you to give us a background of your your of you, but before we do that, you have something deep and dark about one of our past guests to share. Uh, and it's only appropriate that Raymond Hayden gets mentioned in just about every episode because he is the ultimate connector. What can you share with us about Raymond Hayden? Okay, everybody lean in close. <laughs> Are you listening? <laughs> Actually, he was in my house last night and they, the band was practicing and uh, I told him I was going to be here today. And he gave me some dirt on you, oh, actually. Perfect. What, what, did, what lies did Ray share? <laughs> Nothing, actually. Okay. And, and Ray is, I decided last night that he's Teflon Ray. Uh, so I don't have any dirt on him so either. Let's, Sorry. Let's, so for somebody who hasn't listened to a bunch of our episodes, uh, we're referring to, to Ray Hayden uh, and, and Chris, Erica's husband, are in a band together called Grieve the Astronaut. And, um, we've, we've had Chris and, and Ray on as guests earlier in this, in the shows and Eric is here now to, well, we're going to probably talk music at some point, but why don't you now do an official introduction of yourself? Thanks. I really appreciate you having me here, Scott. Uh, who am I? I have been in, I don't really know some days. And the therapy <laughs> session is in full force. Exactly. Um, I have been in Washington state for over 20 years, originally from Minneapolis by way of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And when I first came out here, which was for tech, it was, uh, the dot-com bubble and Chris and I were both in tech. So we came out here and expected uh, to have jobs that were going to be awesome and last forever. I immediately got hired at Microsoft and he took a games job within like two or three weeks of moving out here. It was incredible. And then the whole world went south just as soon as we had, you know, bought a house, got pregnant, everything you're supposed to do in that time of your life. And, and we both lost our jobs. And, um, so it was a rough start, but we've been out here for a while and making it good, you know, work well now for, that that many years. Uh, so aside from raising two boys, I am right now working at a mountain guiding company mm-hmm. and the dots in between are, <laughs> I, I was a, a photographer, a fine art photographer out of college, came here, fell in love with the mountains and couldn't stop going up the mountains to take pictures of them at sunrise, sunset, any time of day, more mountains, other mountains. You don't run out of mountains around here if you need, you know, a reflection in the lake or with snow on or without snow on, however. Anyway, photographer's dream. That's why there are probably, you know, way too many professional photographers from the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) And uh, then I got into, um, 
I'm an artist as well. This is really rough. Okay. I'm so no, sorry. No, don't be. There's just no, so be. many things. We'll, we'll, we'll smooth out all these edges. Don't we got this? So I have worked at a media outlet, which I was the co-owner of for about four or five years. And I started as the photo director, but quickly realized the, the co-owner needed an editor just as badly as he needed a photo director. So uh, I installed myself as the co-owner of the company and we did a daily publication for about four years together. And it was in the outdoor industry. I just really loved the industry. The people in the outdoor industry are very real. Mm-hmm. You know, you're using your body every day. You're going up mountains or skiing or whatever it is. And I just find the people in that industry super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's a thread that's followed me all the way through is from getting outdoors with photographers to getting outdoors with rock climbers or mountaineers or whatever. It's, it's been a ball in this state. <laughs> what else do you want to know? Well, let's go back to the, the, you said something and this is just, you know, curiosity on my part now is the, you guys were publishing every day. How on earth were you able to create and publish content on a daily basis? So it was online. Still. It's still hard. <laughs> we, we, the two of us grew a team from, it was, it was about four or five mm-hmm. very part-time when I can fit it in writers when we started to um, about a hundred writers and photographers when I finished four years later. Wow. So we, wow. we built that group of people who were contributing and, um, you know, a lot of it was luck in the industry. It was 2010 to 2014, which was the beginning of social media ramp up. Mm-hmm. And not everybody had figured out how to flex social media for eyes. So my partner was in charge of that part. And I was in charge of actually overseeing all the writing, uh, hiring. I had a, a staff of Uh, three or four editors that helped me edit all the pieces. And we just had a running calendar and calls for content and just rolled it out. It was, it was my job to order it and organize it and roll it out every day. And everybody else was in line. It worked. It worked really well. All I can think of is the overwhelming amount of work that is Um, just based on what we try to accomplish and don't succeed at versus what you were accomplishing. It, it was, it was a 24 seven sometimes, but that also included going out and staying in a tent for three days in a row sometimes. So it was balanced. Okay. You've, you've, well, we talk about Washington state on the show and you're, you're now we'll give you an honorary Washington state resident title. I mean, you've been here long enough, Thank you. here long enough. <laughs> but you have a soft spot for Nepal. I do. Why don't you share with us how that came to be. Okay. When I was working on that magazine, one of my jobs was to go out and find local outdoor celebrities and interview them. And uh, through a friend, I was introduced to a guy named AC Sherpa. And we sat down and I interviewed him because he had just completed uh, a record climb. And that record was the fastest ascent of the seven summits, which is the highest mountain on each continent Mm -hmm. in the shortest amount of climbing days. And he didn't break it by a small amount. I don't, I was going to look up the numbers. I've forgotten the numbers at this point, but originally the last person that did it, did it in 80 or 90 days. And he did it in 62 or 63, something like that. Um, Just blew the record off the map basically. 
Um, Nepal and Kathmandu was super happy to have a Nepali person at the top of the record book. And so they threw him a, a, a parade through Kathmandu and it was a really, really big deal for him. So I got to interview him. Okay. And before that interview was over, he invited me to come with him on his next project, which was a global warming and awareness, a climate awareness concert series okay. from okay. Mount Everest down into Kathmandu through a series of concerts that we were just going to have musicians play and then um, bring awareness to the people that came of what's going on with climate and it was a really, really neat thing. So he invited me to be the photojournalist on that, and I couldn't say no. And I spent a month in Nepal, two months later, three months later. Did you do much climbing while you were in Nepal? I mean... Uh, no. Okay. Um, I, I, some people would think yes, but the what I did was actually get to 18 and a half thousand feet just using my feet and no technical equipment. So I have to say no, because climbing usually involves technical equipment. So wait a second, you got to 18, five in your Nikes, just using my feet in. Okay. I, I struggle going up the stairs. So (laughs) can you, you say that kind of just very, you know, Oh, I did 18, five and very (laughs) casually. Let's, I'd like you to not just gloss over that. Tell me more, even if it is simple, it was a, you know, I want to know how, because that's taller than Rainier. It's quite a bit taller than Rainier. Yeah, it's it's just short of Mount McKinley, which is the highest peak in North America, actually. So how did you elaborate? Just, just, just (laughs) go on. So the mountains over there are different than over here. The snow levels and the rainfall is all different. And so while we have a ton of snow on our mountains locally here, they have less. Mm-hmm. It's it's drier. Um, and so you can get higher without having to don crampons, get on a rope team, dodge crevasses, all the dangerous stuff that happens up higher on mountains. Mm-hmm. So you can actually walk from... Uh, Kathmandu, which is um, a high valley, about 3,000 feet, as high as you want to go until you start having elevation problems. And I, Kala Patar is just above Everest Base Camp. It's, we started at 10,000 feet. We flew into a, the most dangerous airport in the world, which is called Lukla Airport. It's where um, Hillary Norgay Group started, you know, is it, famous for starting that airport that's now paved. But when they made it, it was just a gravel runway. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we flew into there and it's about for 10 to 14 days up, depending on how fast you go and who's with you. Okay. And you just spend time gaining elevation each day and letting your body acclimate. And by the time you get to the top, your body is usually ready to handle the top, that top elevation. But you have to do it slowly. You can't fly in and just say, hey, I was here because your, your body doesn't do that. So even though you weren't using climbing equipment, what sort of equipment did you have to take with you? I to to accomplish this let me first say that it wasn't a standard climbers trip okay. it was made specifically for musicians okay. not climbers and so it was it was the posh variety okay. <laughs> as climbers would call it it was it was um sleeping bags you know enough clothes to last you for those 14, 14 days without doing laundry okay. uh, water okay. bottles it was standard camping equipment really mm-hmm. and i was camping except i was in 
lodges, which are, I like to call them tents with solid walls because they're not what we think of as lodges. It's not big log cabin style. It's basically a common room that's heated with a wood stove Mm -hmm. and then a little wood box room that hopefully has enough wood slats in it to keep you from seeing your neighbors. And one piece of electric that usually has a light bulb hanging down from it for a light, enough room for your bed, your sack full of everything you brought with you, and your boots, and the door to close. And that's about it. So when you say, you know, musicians, I'm wondering, you know, who was was carrying up somebody's Marshall stack. Um, That's... That's awesome. Yeah, who's who's <laughs> what poor guy drew the the short straw to carry up you know the the Marshall stack and you know the the guitar player six guitars. Believe it or not, that did happen. Oh jeez. Um, it wasn't jeez. Marshalls though, and it wasn't all the way up. We had so you can imagine in some of these villages they're big enough to have their own PA system. Okay. And so okay. we borrowed PA equipment from the local villages and towns. Harder than the PA equipment was actually electricity because right. it's in the middle of nowhere. Even though it's a famous track, it's in the middle of nowhere and electricity is very sporadic. And in Lukla, we actually asked the houses to shut down their power so that we could get enough juice to run our amps the night of the concert. And they all did it. <laughs> they all wanted to come to the concert. <laughs> so what what type of musicians were participating in this? These were famous in Nepal musicians, plus an American musician that you might even know, Clint McCune. Name sounds, it's... Throw his name out. Name is, you know, rattling around in my brain, but I can't go, oh yes, because. Okay, so why did Clint get selected to go? um, Um, AC Sherpa, who headed up the whole trip and I was talking about earlier, uh, found him somehow. I think they were living in the same city here, Redmond, at the time, and, and Clint used to own soul food books in Redmond and AC ran into him and they met up and devised this whole thing and, okay. and set it up. And I came in slightly after that. So I'm, sure. I don't know a lot more. So than how many shows did, how many concerts were ultimately um, put on? Base camp, Namche, Lukla, Saleri and Kathmandu five. Oh. And so were these, did you, you so you were the photojournalist. Were these captured with video as well as photo, or um, yeah, some of both, okay. as best as I could do. Oh, okay, okay, that's yeah. It was it was a blast to just be on a tour with. It was eight. I think it was eight Nepali musicians and Clint and Clint's helper, who was his technical guru, that made sure his machines were going to run up at ten thousand feet and. Everything they were they were live streaming stuff back. This is in 2011. They were live streaming stuff back from Nepal to their coffee shop to let people watch the shows. Wow! <laughs> so he was in charge of all that equipment. Wow. Okay. It was quite an entourage. That, so yeah, how many people total were on this expedition, if you will? So uh, myself, Clint, and John, plus um, an American we picked up in Kathmandu, who was our media guy. Okay named Tom. So there are are four Americans and eight musicians and about five, six uh, lead staff. These are Sherpa guides who walked us up the trail and made sure we could understand what we were eating and um, told us 
you know, where the bathrooms were and helped us stay warm and all of the things that guides can do Mm -hmm. to make you more comfortable in a place where you don't speak the language or know anybody. (laughs) And, and then we had support staff, which made it a total of about 30 people. We had people driving our yaks, which carried our yak sacks because you can't carry a 50 pound pack. Mm -hmm. Even if you're used to carrying a 50 pound pack, it's super hard to do it at elevation you know, above what you can regularly get to. So, so how did the elevation treat you? Did you get any, you know, did it, did you get elevation sickness or was it a walk in the park for you? It was neither. Okay. <laughs> um, it was in the middle. So, okay. so I trained for this and I had been out in the mountains for 10 years here before okay. um, I had to worry about that. I did train going up to camp Muir in the winter time as, as a good way to get elevation under me beforehand. Okay. And I didn't have problems all the way up until we got almost to the very top. I lost a little bit of my memory at the very top and and slurred my speech a little bit, which is just the very first warning signs of, of elevation sickness. So when you mean you lost your memory, give me an example of uh, how did you know that? When I came down from the top, I wrote this in my first book. When I came down from the top, there was a complete exchange with people that passed us on the way down that I don't remember having. Mm -hmm. And there was video on my camera of the panorama at the top. But I don't have any recollection of that conversation or those photos and video. The only reason I know they happened is because I was told about the conversation and uh, the the photos were on my card, on my camera. And so that's kind of one of the first signs of this that's kind of it can be kind of frightening actually when you think about it one of the first signs is you it's a lot frightening actually yeah them. it, it puts i think i summoned it Everest. i don't remember uh, <laughs> well hopefully by the time you're up there you are on oxygen and, and have enough support and time acclimated that you know it was it was the extent of my limit so if it, it, humor me if you would have continued on to mm-hmm. summit everest how long would it have probably taken now you're not gonna you know how long would it have taken to go from where you you turned around if you will to go to the summit how many more days uh weeks 30 to 30 to 60 30 to 60 more days more days yeah some of it is acclimatization (laughs) some of it is moving gear up and down the mountain they do several trips up and down So they're carrying their supplies to the next camp so they can have enough food to move to the next camp so they can come down to camps and rest so they can go up without the equipment on their back so they're more prepared to go to the summit. It's a lot of up and back and up so and back. So Amazon, Amazon doesn't deliver. deliver. You can't get two-day supplies? <laughs> Maybe it does now. <laughs> See, to me, it's it's the the, the logistics of, of things like that are just awe-inspiring. You know, to, to think that's just the logistics, the actual physical piece is the part that gets me like, how do they yeah, yeah. get up there and have their heads intact? It's incredible. So at 18, five, how long did it take you when you came back down? How long does that take typically, or in this case? Less than half the time okay. uh, we took, I should count my days again, but I think we spent 14 days to get up mm-hmm. and we got back down in three or four days. Okay. It's, it's. About 45 miles, I think, from Lukala to where I was. Oh, wow. Okay. And so nine days to go up. But I think we made eight or 12 miles the first day from the top, from the summit where I was, back down to where we stayed. Just because it's all downhill. I mean, it's way easier. (laughs) Would you do it again? 
absolutely. I have actually done it. Most of it again. Okay. Yeah. Two years later, I was, I was so enamored with the culture. I grabbed a friend and we went out there and did some volunteer work and went up to the highest monastery, which is about 13,000 feet and spent some time with the monks and, and the mountains. And so how, when you say the highest monastery and you spent some time with the monks, how many monks are up there? Uh, it depends on the day and whether they're having a big event or not. It's like asking how many musicians are at the Paramount. It depends on how it was scheduled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if they're having a big funeral for somebody famous, there'll be hundreds. Usually when we were there, there were half a dozen. Half a dozen. Yeah. And are they year? But they have quarters. They probably have quarters for 20 or 30. Are, are they year? Are they there year round? Or does the, or just yeah. the so people are there at 13,000 feet year round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the top places that they can go year round above there. There's too much snow to garden year round. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they don't have a food supply. So why do you think you became so enamored with Nepal? What, what about, about it resonated with you? You want me to say the mountains and I really, no, I want you to tell me the truth. I mean, you, you can, you can, t- <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have anything I vested here. Anything I, I'm just curious. I mean, I really thought it was going to be the mountains. That's why I went. I went to take photographs of the highest mountains in the world, and I was so bent on that. And and capturing these musicians was kind of a, a side job. Okay. Um, you know, of my own arrangement. That's how I arranged it in my head. And then I got there, and I completely fell in love with the people. And I have friends from that first trip that are like siblings to me. Once again. Why? What was it? I mean, because you, you could have, you, you, you could have met people in Bellingham and not connected. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like, I'm trying to figure out what is it about Nepal that resonates so deeply with you? Hmm. Um, and that might be the hardest question I'm going to ask you. So don't, yeah, don't it's super hard because, <laughs> um, the culture was so different from my own. It just forced me to be in a place of, of seeing people that were so different from me. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked. It just clicked. I just understood them immediately. And, and they're super kind people. I haven't met anybody who's been to Nepal who hasn't said these, basically these exact words. Okay. The people okay. are so incredibly kind, giving, understanding, helpful. Okay. They want you to be happy as their primary objective. Well, I mean, you did start when you were telling your story that they did agree to all turn off their power so they could watch a, a, a movie, a concert. So, I mean, that is, That's a can, great you example. That, can you imagine you know, that going around your neighborhood right now, asking your neighbors to turn off their power so you could do a, a movie night. I don't think your neighbors, I don't, I, you know, my neighbors would probably say no. <laughs> so you, you helped write and I'm, I'm on your website. And so, I'm not sure if I'm going to say the exact right thing, but let's, let's talk about AC Sherpa for a second. Um, I know, I feel like I should know that name and I don't. So. It might sound familiar because everyone that is of the Sherpa culture Mm -hmm. usually uses their last name, their cultural name as their last name. So you'll know a first name Lapka and their last name is usually Sherpa. Okay. So what is, what is AC accomplished? The seven summits mm-hmm. in the in the in the fastest time okay. is his that's, is his biggest that's, marker. That's his biggest marker. Okay. Yeah, he's since gone on to 
Um, he attempted to do three summits of Everest in a single climbing season. He did not obtain that, I think, before somebody else did. And um, he's since gone into politics. Oh. So he's the consulate for the for the state of Washington. He's a consulate to Nepal. Oh, okay. Now, you you said uh, earlier that he was in Redmond? Mm-hmm, he was. Now he is Mercer Island. I so believe. what brought him to the States? Or was he, do you know? Good question. His brother brought him, his older brother brought him to the States. His bro- older brother got to the States by being a Sherpa guide and meeting an American woman on a trek and marrying her. So the two of them moved over here and then AC was brought over to raise his older brother's daughters. Oh, okay. So when he was somewhere between 14 and 16, he came over here, Mm -hmm. was installed in Mercer Island high school and, and, and was his sole purpose was to take care of those kids while Hmm. the parents worked. Okay. And and then he went to school as well. And he went to school. Okay. Okay. And he was a track star. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And basketball <laughs> and other things. <laughs> okay. And now he's a liaison between the United States and Nepal. Mm-hmm. He also is, is, holds some offices that I don't understand that are for a community of people called non-resident Nepalis. So... Nepal doesn't have a lot of in-country work, and so many of their men are forced to go overseas to find work. So they're everywhere from the Middle East to India to yeah India to Europe to the Americas, hmm. working. And those people are a collective that has some sort of governing power. And I really don't know a lot about it, but he's installed in one of those powers. Okay. Okay. That's wow. I I had no idea. I didn't either. It's all been a learning experience. So it's been fun. So what hike hiking wise, climbing wise, Washington state related. Have you ever summited Rainier? I have not. You're going to ask me the questions. I have to say no. No, it's okay. Do you have any interest in summiting Rainier? I do. I do. I've been to Camp Muir a couple of times, once in the winter, once in the summer. Um, I actually, uh, oh, I'm going to speak this out loud. I'm thinking my year is this year. Okay. Oh, for Baker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the highest elevation you've been at in Washington? Oh, let me just run through. So I've been up on Mount Adams, but not to the top. I've been to Mount St. Helens to the top, but that's not as high as Camp Mir. So probably Camp Camp Mir. Mir. Okay. Yeah. 10, 188. Okay. But who's counting? 10, 188. Three inches or whatever. I get a kick out. So I am, I'm not an outdoorsy guy at all, but I get a kick out of when I talk to people who are, dare I say, just obsessed, like obsessed with climbing. And it, and they, um, we had a guest on before and I believe you, you know, Troy Moss. I don't. So Troy is um, a musician in the Tacoma area. Right. Um, in fact, Troy is the one that inter- the person who introduced me to Raymond Hayden. Ray was telling me this last night. I was talking to Troy. Hey, um, Troy and a and a buddy of his reenacted the Tolmay journey uh, from that um, William Tolmay did back in the eighteen hundreds, from basically 
Puget Sound to what's called Tolme Peak now on Rainier. And actually, it wasn't Tolme Peak. But anyway, they reenact. They walked this 100-mile thing during July, during our... Remember July last in 2021 was 117 degrees. They're out walking on the streets doing this. And the, they, the stories you were telling me were just absolutely hysterical. Um, I work with some of those guys that are yeah. that much into mountaineering and climbing. And so I'm talking to Troy and, you know, he's, you know, he's younger than me. You know, I'm safe to assume he's in his fifties. Um, and we're talking and I think of him as a musician, right? I mean, that's, you know. How many, how many times, you know, was, he says something about he's somebody during the year. I said, oh, cool. How many times you done? He goes, I, I think 13. I'm just like, what on earth? You know, I was just blown away by the, you know, just the casual nature of, yeah, I've summited it you know, a dozen times. Is Was he a guide or is he a guide? No. No, he's just an avid climber. <laughs> this, this is a guy who just, you know, as, as a hobby. You know, this is, I mean, he's got a day job. He's not a professional outdoors person at all. He's just a, an avid hobbyist. And yeah, kind of, you know, he, he took a bunch of people through the, uh, the enchantments, you know, yeah. Oh, let's just go, let's go th- run, you know, run through the enchantments. So like, anyway, did he do it as a single day run? I don't know. No, they did. I think an overnight thing, but, um, some of my some of my other friends are, you know, um, have summited Rainier. Uh, one of my friends has summited Rainier and, and um, Kilimanjaro and um, Denali, and uh, you know, just oh yeah, just nonchalantly, oh yeah. I, I just I I'm so in awe of of. Have you ever done any yourself? No, I struggle going up the stairs in my from my office to my house. I mean. No, that's a technical climb for me. I can't sometimes navigate the stairs. I mean, it's no, I'm not allowed to go out. I am the most uncoordinated person in the, I tr- I've tripped at the mall before and fallen on my face. I'm not joking. I wish I was. And I probably shouldn't say that. So it can be repeated back to me. So I, I'm totally enamored with people who are, have this outdoor um, passion and, so you as a photographer, when you're hiking and climbing, are you taking camera gear up with you or are you? Yeah. So what do you, what, what, what type of gear are you taking with you? I've worked very hard over the last 20 years to make my kit as small as possible. Okay. So if you look at a regular outdoor, especially like a bird photographer or somebody that does distance stuff that needs those big yeah. lenses yeah. that are the size yeah. of your head. I don't have that because I don't want to have the, that. The cost is I much as a new car. Yeah. But besides that, I don't want to have to carry it up the mountain. No. Yeah. I have. Yeah. There was a point at which I stopped carrying my camera gear on trips and just went, I've been here before. How about if I just take my phone? I'll be okay. I'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then I regretted every minute of it because there was a beautiful sunset and there were, you know, a birds I'd never seen before sitting on the lake. Okay. And, you know, it, you've got to be able to take your gear with you. So I, I decided then and there, I don't need to take two camera bodies. I don't need to take my 8,000 millimeter lens. I don't need all the baffles. The baffles are what make it look giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I take <clears throat> a single SLR camera. And what, what are you shooting with? 
to the lens. Right now, I'm shooting with a Fuji mirrorless, okay. actually. So mirrorless. So the weights are a little better than... The weight's better, mm-hmm. yeah. And the lenses are a little smaller. It's it's really nice. That's why I went with it instead of one of the, the bigger ones. Okay. And it captures darn near everything I want right now. Okay. And it weighs... My whole kit weighs about eight pounds. Okay. Ten, uh, 12 pounds with a, a tripod. Okay. That's... Still, it's 12 pounds, but it's not... It, <laughs> When your regular pack is 25, it, you know, right. it's half again your right. weight. So the Fuji, is it is it a full frame? No. Okay. okay. No, it's not, which is good and bad. It's good because uh, I get for longer reach in my lenses mm-hmm. and I don't have to carry as much glass and um, easier to process, doesn't take up much card space. It, it makes me more movable, Okay. <laughs> which in okay. Nepal was a really huge advantage to not have to drag all the different cards with me, all the different battery packs with me, you know, the, the speed advanced. Anyway, mm-hmm. I can go on and on. No, no, <laughs> I'm not, no, a no, gear, no. not a gearhead. <laughs> well, see, but that's the thing though. It's like, you know, people say the best camera is the one you take with you. And, and for many of us, it's, you know, it's, it's our iPhones. Yeah. But, but, and you can take some wonderful, I mean, I've been told, I, I still can't figure out why my thumb is always over the lens. Um, <laughs> and I wish I wasn't kidding. Um, but having a mirrorless camera up when you're hiking in that is, is pretty amazing. So let me ask you some, some outdoor related photography questions then about Washington state, put you on the spot. Sure. Best, best place to catch a sunset up at elevation. I know it's a really arbitrary question because it depends on the day I know, but you know. That most people can get to or that you have to work to get to? You can give us both. Give us both categories. Oh, okay. Just, just, just answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean. What's your favorite song? (laughs) Yeah. Depends on the moment by Van Halen. What's your favorite Van Halen song? Right. Oh, you were going to, oh, do you really want to know? Yes, please. Um, I remember you spent a long time on Chris's podcast um, trying to figure that out. He had to really work at it because yes. he has a yes. mine's jump. Okay, mine's easy. Okay, okay. It's jump. Okay, okay. It's poppy. Okay. It moves. I like to jump. Okay, it's super simple. Okay. All right, you'll have to go back and listen to Chris's episode to find out what Chris's Chris's. Well, just that's how we get listeners as we drag them back to other episodes. So okay, from a from a a relatively ease of access point. Where is a spot that might be, mm, dare I say, you know, off the beaten path? Not, not like, give me, give me some suggestions. Artist's Point, Mount Baker. Okay. One of my favorite places to go. Don't bother going there before July because it doesn't melt out. Mm-hmm. There's snow and you won't get out of the parking lot, but especially in a year like this. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you can take amazing photographs in the parking lot. And not have to walk a step. So, you know, people in wheelchairs, people who don't like to hike, as long as you can drive mm-hmm. to 5,000 ish feet and not have breathing problems, mm-hmm. you can get out there. And okay. there's not a lot there. There's a pit toilet and a bunch of trailheads and a giant parking lot. And that's about it. There's no ranger station. There's really, there's nothing up there. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> but that's part of the reason we go. Okay. Uh, anything around Rainier? You got any spots around? Sure. Okay. So yeah, sunset, uh, sunrise is the same way. Mm -hmm. 
They drive up to Sunrise parking lot and you can take pictures right from the parking lot that are phenomenal. But if you decide to hike for two or three miles, you can get amazing, amazing shots. I just was up this last year in, I think it was August or September, mm-hmm. uh, up on looking down into the crevasses late summer and they're all cracked open and it's a great set of textures and, and sunset hitting it with the fire smoke kind of dappling the light or, or shading the light into weird colors. It's, it was a fun, fun experiment. Have you ever, this is the answer. I don't know. Have you ever gone over, have you ever gone over Chinook pass? Yes. Years ago, just drove over it once with the kids. So I hadn't been over Chinook pass year ago was the first time. That's a pretty interesting, uh, there's a lot of really nice just off the highway and <laughs> just to stop it's off. Gorgeous. And people do, that's the whole thing. I mean that, that it's like a parking lot up there. Um, and you're trying to navigate through as somebody's parked their RV on the side of the road and on the other side of the road coming the other directions an RV park. So it's down to a one lane road and you got an RV coming at you. It's, it's kind of entertaining during summer. Um, but yeah, there's some beautiful shots up there. Yep. So, yep. And so, if you do, if you do the hikes out of those, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble to go out there, if you can hike it a little bit, hike it a little bit, stay on the trails, do all your leave no trace things and go enjoy, you know, the nature. Right. So you've, you've written two books, right? Yep. What's next? That's a really good question. I'm trying to figure that out right now. I, I'm focusing on other stories that don't have to do with Nepal right now. I'm focusing on other places I might want to travel and we can finally do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, like where? Australia oh. and New Zealand have been on my list forever. Okay. When I was four years old, my grandparents did a job trade with a New Zealand uh, family and they lived in each other's houses for a year and did each other's jobs for a year. And they were both agricultural veterinarians. Oh, so. Oh. My grandpa, who was used to birthing cows, went over to birth sheep, and the other family did the opposite. And the it, it wasn't that big of a stretch, really, except the weather. Auckland, New Zealand is quite a bit like Seattle, even warmer from what I understand. It's green, it's lush, it doesn't change in temperatures more than about 40 or 50 degrees all year long. And my grandparents lived in South Dakota, where it's about 130 <laughs> degrees of temperature difference. <laughs> Oh, so I'm going to guess that the New Zealand people were like, no, we don't want to do this again. Thank you. Thanks. But <laughs> yeah, we felt bad for them. <laughs> we're passing on that. But when my grandparents came back, they, he was a photographer and they had, they had so many beautiful photos and stories of the people and brought back shells and uh, Maori wood pieces. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just needed to go see it myself now for most of my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. Long, awkward pause while Scott gathers his thoughts. Um, <laughs> well, you're, are you, st- so I have some confusion here. Are you still involved? So what are you, you're worth an out, outdoor group right now, right? Working? Yeah, I'm working for a, a guiding company, Mountain right. and Rock Guiding Company, okay. Kafa Adventures. Yeah, sorry. To, I had a senior moment there. No worries. So let's let. How about we transition and we talk about what you're doing right now in this outdoor guide company? What is your role there? 
I'm the managing director, so everybody else gets to go play out in the mountains, and I get to sit in the office and do the work. <laughs> no resentment in her voice at all, is there, folks? <laughs> Just no resentment. No, the, the benefits are many. It's so great to be around people that are so amped to go outside okay. all the time. Okay. It, and and they are the people that you were talking about when you're talking about people that are so crazed to go up Mount Rainier this many times a year. They My, my key guides last year took – probably they each took 10 laps on Mount hood just in a single season. Yeah. It's a lot. They just, every weekend they just are doing laps. So they go up mountains a lot in the summer. And when they have time off, you know, you think they work from April until late August Mm -hmm. and you think, okay, they're probably pretty tired. They probably want to take some time and kick back. Nope. They run off to the desert and they go climb rocks. When they're done climbing mountains, they climb rocks in their off days. So I just love being around that energy. Um, I do get to go out th- with them occasionally, and it, it makes my day, if not my week and my month, to you know be guided by pros and taken up places where I wouldn't be able to get to myself. It's awesome. So what? Um, where do you? Uh, where are they working at? What what mountains can you use the service for? Uh, we go up Rainier, but only once per year. Okay. We go up Mount Baker, Mount Hood. All of the North Cascades peaks, Mount Olympus. Um, we basically have a spread of most of the Cascade Range okay. and the Olympic okay. Range. So, yeah, where do you want to go? <laughs> well, like I said, like I've mentioned now, is you know going up the stairs to my office or down the stairs. You know, it's, <laughs> no, you don't want me along for the. It would be um, I would ruin it for everybody else. But what if I were? Let's let's just say I was wanting to use a guide service Mm -hmm. what can i expect is it going to be catered food are they gonna you know no just kidding what if if you're there on an overnight kind of yeah i mean it's freeze-dried but they prepare it for you they you know you bring up the stoves and the fuel and the tents and they set up camp and you help Mm -hmm. and and then they make you a dinner based on your food needs Ah. so it's pretty cool but okay, so we kid about that. But so, what guided? What is this? The, let's say I want to do Baker. Okay. Let's just let's pick Baker. And let's. So what? What would be for me to sign up as for a guided climb of Baker? What base experience do I have to have? You don't actually have to have any, but it really helps if you're an avid hiker, have good cardiovascular, and have done plenty of local hikes before. Okay. That's really the only requirement. We do a three-day training on Mount Baker, which teaches you everything that you need to know to get up to the top. And then on the third day, or the second day, we second or third day, we attempt the summit. Okay. And okay. usually make it. So... There's some training involved then. and, and Yeah. Okay. That I, so my company, one of the things I love about Coffee Adventures is they're an, a teaching company first. Okay. Outdoor education is their their base and their key. They're not, that's what kind of what makes them different from all the other guide services. They're not just going to grab you by the nose and drag you up to the top and go, there you go. Well, take your picture. See you later. Uh, <laughs> they, they really do. They, they're all outdoor educated. They've all gone to college for outdoor education, you know, oh, and wow. they've spent, they spent, so much time beyond college getting certifications and outdoor very, very specific qualifications so that they know how to teach this stuff to other people. And, and they're extremely personable. They're 
so professional and tons of fun to be around because they're outdoor people, outdoor industry. Mm-hmm. And they just teach you what you need to know. So you go up, you, we have a curriculum for each of the mountains. Yeah. So you go up on the first day in Mount Baker, you set up camp and you drill a few skills you rest, you spend the whole second day drilling, they feed you dinner, you go to bed early, they wake you up about midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that, depending on conditions. You get dressed, you put on your headlamp and start marching up in the dark, and then you come back down mid to late morning, pack up gear and walk down to the bottom. It's three days, three days of fun in the snow. You should try it. <laughs> so so first off, he, he, okay, let's let's just unpack this for Scott. <laughs> freeze-dried freeze food. Do I look like a person that eats freeze-dried food? I probably should start. Waking me up at midnight, putting a lamp on my head and telling me to march up the mountain doesn't sound like fun. I get, I logically, I understand it, but. Uh, and it's I, called an alpine start. I and know. it's, I, it's I, required. I, I'm, Sorry. Ki- I'm kidding, but you know, it's like, there's where's the fun in all of this. I just, uh, that okay. is fun. We, we use the, the phrase type two fun quite a bit. Type two fun. Type two yeah. Fun. I think of type two, I think of diabetes. So yeah, no, no. Uh, type two fun is the kind where it's miserable in the moment, but you're so happy you did it. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's something to tell stories about. So help me out here. And I think I understand, but I'm going to ask you specifically. So when I have talked to other climbing enthusiasts, they all talk about these, you know, mid middle of the night starts, right? I mean, they're all, you know, midnight, 2 a.m. stuff. It's for safety, but for those of us that navigate level terrain, what, why is this? Can you... Could you put it into layman's terms for me? Sure. It's actually pretty easy. At night, it's colder. The snow hardens. Okay. And it's easier to walk up. During the daytime, things are melting. It's like walking up dry sand hills. Now, some of uh, isn't that offset by not being able to see, though, as well? I mean, to me, it's, you know, and once again, complete yeah, layman here. That's a good question, actually. Uh, um. So headlamps are a must. You can't do it in the dark. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine if you have two, four, six people with headlamps, light reflecting off the snow, it's actually quite bright. Okay. If you okay. if you drive up to sunrise in August and sit in the parking lot until 2 a.m., been there, done that, you can actually <laughs> see the lights from their headlamps going up the mountain. It's pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I mean, that's... And, that's... you know, in reality, it's a lot of hours looking at a snow field and walking up steps. It's, it's March, March, March. You don't really need to see much until you get close to the top. And by then it's dawn and you're up at the top at dawn. And it's one of the most incredible things to see. I'm sure you've seen pictures of what dawn from a mountain summit looks like. I, I have, and, and I'm somewhat teasing you, but at the same time, I mean, the, I, honestly, the idea of going up at one o'clock in the morning and starting, it's just, okay. So let me, so I'm going to re- repeat to you what I heard. We're going to wake you up in the middle of the night when it's cold, and we're going to slap a f- flashlight on your head and make you march. I'm no, <laughs> I, I have the utmost admiration for everybody though that does, does, does this stuff because it's, it's phenomenal. What, 
it's so much fun. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a it's it's great for the spirit, you know. Yeah. Just like yeah. people who take up hiking or surfboarding or whatever it is, right? You know, it's right. the physical act is so cool. So do you do you rock climb? I do. So how did you get started? Are you are you an adrenaline junkie? I mean, I, I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but I mean, these are these are not passive activities. These are full on physical exertion, technical activities. Yeah, I've always been that way. Okay. I mean, there are plenty of people who are rock climbers who didn't start out as athletes, but I've been an athlete since I was three. Okay. So I was a gymnast okay. for over a decade. And once high school was over, uh, you know, I've just always been athletic runner, soccer player. Okay. Yeah. But see, those are all on the ground. Those are, I mean, seriously, I mean, so what? Girls got to have challenges. Well, no, you're tired I, no, is, you got to go is, up. Is that what it is? Is that, no, I'm serious. I'm, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's different for everyone. You okay. know, okay. I, I, I think people by nature need to be challenged. Right. Right. Why not try something as beautiful as Mount Rainier, okay, or okay. Mount Baker, or any mountain that's nearby you? And well, and like like we said when we started this, there's an abundance of them, with with you know within a half day drive from pretty much anywhere in the state of Washington, there's a, there's a mountain to climb. But rock climbing, what got you started there? Oh, that's a funny story. Actually, I have a really close friend who started dating and then married a rock climber. And so she was going to the gym. He'd been a rock climber for life and she was trying to catch up with him in her early to mid forties after <laughs> not, it, it's, it was a daunting task, yeah. but she's yeah. basically done it. And the best way to do that is to drag your friend to the gym and say, here, will you please learn this? Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so for a couple of years, she dragged me truly, um, mostly willingly and showed me everything and had me be her belay buddy. Rock climbing is a pairs sport most mm-hmm. of the time. Okay. And okay. and so you have to be attached to the rope on one end while somebody else is your counterweight on the other end. Mm-hmm. And so if you go by yourself, it's just, it doesn't work when you're outdoors. When you're indoors, they have things they can do auto belays so you can go up by yourself, but it's much more fun if you bring a friend. And so she, she said, you're coming to the gym with me. And I said, okay. And that's how I started. Now I go there by myself. (laughs) Now you go there by yourself. Yeah. Did I see, we're not friends on Facebook, but did I see a picture that Chris was trying this? You did. Good eye. Yeah. Yeah, you did. So. So it was that friend who we went to go see down near Las Vegas. Okay. And she took us out to one of the premier rock climbing places in the States, which happens to be 20 miles outside of Vegas. Okay. And we spent the day with her and yeah, she strung up Chris and said, go up that. And he did. (laughs) He's actually a natural. But he's a guitar player. Wouldn't he want to, I mean, I would be worried about his fingers. Yeah, that's actually, yes. Wow, you know musicians. Well, I, you know, I, I think I would be worried. You can look at it two ways, though. He has very strong hands. Oh, I look at his hands would be uh, excellent at this. Yeah. I would just yeah, think would. he would have been very concerned about his hands. Yes. Being, wow. You know, you know guitarists. Yeah. Being, I would think yeah. so, too. He let it go. For I mean, okay. I was super impressed. He did a 
very hard climb for a beginner. Mm -hmm. He did it on his first try. He didn't fall. He didn't complain. He just went up it (laughs) like a monkey. But did he like it? He thought it was all right. Okay. You can't complain about being outdoors in the desert with the sun shining on you in December. No, that's true. That I could get behind. That see, I you you know that that one. That's how I sold the trip. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> so where's some good rock climbing around Washington? So in North Bend, there are a couple places. Um, how well do you know the little mountains around here? Little Mount Si. I know Little Mount Si. Okay, there's actually a rock climbing place right off the Little Mount Si trailhead. Okay. And if you know that trailhead really, really well, you get less than a mile up it, look to your left, and there's this huge rock wall, and there's you can climb there. Okay. There's another one at exit 38, I'm off of I-90, so closer to the pass, and it is uh, Iron Horse State Park. Okay, yeah, is. Iron Horse, okay, yeah. Where they have the bike trail that goes through. Mm-hmm. There are rock walls all through there, okay. and we actually do some of our training there. Okay. And then Index, Washington. Mm-hmm. And then Mount Erie up at Anacortes. Oh. Oh. And then Leavenworth has tons of climbing. Mm-hmm. And Mazama. And Tieton. Yeah. yeah. Where are you climbing in Tieton? There, there is, I, I have not been there. Okay. I am not a rock guide. And so I have not. So when you say Tieton, I think of the top of the plateau. So. Um, so. All I know is it's a long drive from Seattle. It's about four hours from Seattle, right. south right. and east. Yeah. I can't yeah. tell you a ton about the actual location. Okay. But okay. then um, uh, Vantage is, is the other popular one. Oh. oh. Vantage, which is also called um, Frenchman's Coulee. Really? Near George. Yeah, near George. Interesting. Yeah. And now, all these little haunts. There are, there are dozens and dozens more. Banks, Banks Lake. You can climb at on the east side. Really? Really? We've done ice climbing there. Yeah. In the wintertime, it freezes over and you put on different gear and climb ice when you can't climb rocks. (laughs) That blew your mind. (laughs) I'm just. As before we hit record, remember you you said you'd turn your furnace off and I said I had my heater off and, you know, if we saw each other's breath, we'd stop. And I'm sitting here, I'm cold and you're talking about climbing on ice. No. (laughs) I had people call me today and say, why can't we go climbing on ice today? Uh, mostly because it's been 45 in Seattle and there's no ice to climb. That's waterfall ice. It's all liquid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. But it does get solid and we do climb up it when it gets solid. Really? So what's it? See, I had no idea this conversation would go this direction. This is kind of cool. Um, it's pretty fun, isn't it? See, this is why I'm here. This is why. Yeah, I know. See, I warned you, you know, this, what rabbit holes we would go down, or in this case, what rock faces we're going to climb. Um, from a technical standpoint, is it, is it more technically challenging to climb an ice face than a rock face? I am guessing here, but I, I think they're probably equivalent. They're just a different surface. Well, so when I think of ice, I think of frozen and slick. Yeah, but you have little pokies on your feet that you actually stick into the ice. Uh-huh. You've probably seen it if yeah, you watch the, yeah. the Everest yeah. movie and all of that. They have the crampons that have the toe spikes, mm-hmm. and you actually kick your foot into the waterfall, and then you have two equivalent things on your hands, ice tools, and you you like learn how to 
pick into the ice so that you hang onto the ice and you actually pull yourself up by your arms and kick your, your steps up with your feet. And you're tied onto a rope. So if you fall, it's like climbing. You, you get a belay. So have you had any um, climbing accidents? No. Okay. I have not been rock climbing long enough to have any rock climbing accidents. Do you, you don't take your you camera up with you, do you? Rock climbing? Yeah, I mean. Uh, not usually. It takes all of my effort to just get up the easy climb. Okay. All right. No, I was just thinking. I was thinking that would be the appropriate answer. No, but I was just. Mountaineering is a longer, a longer, less intense haul, mm-hmm. at least for my body. Okay. And so it's easier to throw a pack on your back and go, okay, let's walk for five hours and then have lunch and take some pictures rather than, you know, a, a rock climb can take all day as well. Mm-hmm. But while you're doing it, it's all body intense. You don't want any extra weight on your back. You don't, right. Right. I mean, unless yeah. that's your, you've seen free solo, right? <laughs> Using the making of free solo. I have not. Um, so let's go back to Chris's climbing. You said a beginning climb. How long did that take him? Um, well, so that was about a 45 foot wall. Okay. And it took him 20 minutes. Okay. So. And did and you do, did you, did you do the wall as well? Mm-hmm, yeah, I did that same climb. That's specifically the one thing I wanted to get done is when I was there in November on a project and mm-hmm. I tried to climb that specific climb, didn't make it up with the guide I was with. And so. So how long did it take you? You've got to go back and get it. How? It, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. So he was not, to, you know, I, 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 he didn't, he didn't take for, he did well. He mm-hmm. like, he, yeah, he nailed it. Okay. And so were you, was somebody telling him kind of grab here? I mean, like how much? Yes. So his belayer was, was the husband I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's a guy, he's been rock climbing all his life. Right. Knows right. all of the moves it's a technique, you know, it's, it's, I'm probably have a music metaphor in me, but I'm not going to find it right now. (laughs) It's okay. okay. Once you've been playing for so long, you know, all the things you need to do. Right. Right. So, so he would give him tips from the bottom. Like, can you move your left foot up three inches to that little hook right there? And so then you shift your weight and you see if you can get that left foot up while still hanging on to tiny pieces of rock with your other three, with your two hands and your right foot. And then once you've got that foot up, you shift your weight over, pull yourself up with your hands. Now you're in the position to repeat on the other side. And it truly is a mind game more than it's a puzzle. It's a mind game and a physical activity all at once. It's great combo. How much did, did, did Chris do any preparation before doing that? No, okay. but he okay. is an athletic human. Right. Yeah, he's a half marathon runner and right. Right. a so he's, singer. He's in good. He's in good physical condition. He's in. Yeah, he's in good physical condition. But he didn't. I don't want to say train, but he didn't pre- do any prep before deciding to do this. No, three or four years ago, he went to the same climbing gym that I was dragged to. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Same gal who's friends with both of us. Right. Right. Took us all, took my whole family. And so he had done the gym climbing before. Okay. So he knew basically what was going to be required, but nope. But he's, he's surprising like that. So how sore was he afterwards? He wasn't. Okay. He's actually, if I can brag my husband for a minute, he's, he's incredibly athletic. He doesn't get 
sore from stuff like that. Okay. Like he'll, okay. He can climb for half a day and not complain about it. And, and he can run a half marathon and then go hiking 12 miles the next day. He doesn't, doesn't have issues like that. Okay. <laughs> I was jealous. just, I was just, so I was just so thinking was though, just, cause the way you're describing it to me, you know, you're, you got your hands gripping on rock with one foot while you're trying to move another one. I'm thinking that would be um, for, you know, very tiring, uh, yeah, so and, 20 minutes is enough to break a good sweat and yeah, yeah, you yeah. just exhaust you. So you get to the top, you touch the top and go, yes, I did it. They take the victory photo and then you lower back down to the ground and then you breathe for half an hour while somebody else tries it and then you move to the next route. It's it's an all-day affair where you're, you're working your body wow. 20 wow. minutes or half an hour at a time, sometimes less. Sometimes it's a 10 or 15 set of moves, minute set of moves and and then you break for that same amount of time. But it's it's kind of opposite mountaineering because mountaineering is just the long steady slog all right. the way so up. this is more of a burst of of energy and focus okay all right um well to fuel that you know one needs copious amounts of coffee <laughs> see it's so are you a are you a are you a are you a, a fan of coffee i drink it occasionally i prefer the decaffeinated variety and i'm not a coffee snob I, you know what my my best summary is? Okay. I drink cream and sugar as long as there's a little coffee in it. <sighs> I'm sorry. I know that was going to let you down. <laughs> oh, it's that, was, it's that Midwestern upbringing. You just don't appreciate it. <laughs> No, my dad was a, a five pots a day guy, and I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But well, yeah, <laughs> I'm a tea person. In case that makes any difference All to right. you, mm. <laughs> back in good graces. No, you're losing no, points. You're losing points. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, all right, play along, play along. This is all good natured fun. Uh, I know very little about tea. Um, where's a good spot in the Seattle area to go get tea? Are there any good tea, tea places that don't start with Starbucks? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, Soul Food Books in Redmond. Okay. I really just, if you want a down home, really sweet place to go. Okay. It's okay. got a funky, hippie, peace freak vibe. Okay. And okay. they used to play live music, though, during COVID. They're not, I think. So where's and this at? Shop. It's in Redmond on the main strip. Do you want me to give you company landmarks or street landmarks? It's off of the main street, which is 85th right. coming into right. town. And, and then... Uh, I haven't been through Redmond in a few years. I'm just trying to. So it'll be way so, bigger when you go this yeah, time. Yeah, I know. It was shocking last time. I was like, geez, um, that whole region is, oh my gosh. Um, soul food books, huh? Yeah. Okay. Cute place. Good books too. Okay. Fun people. So this kind of went sprawling around in many different directions. What didn't I ask you that I should have? What should we have covered that we, that I, over uh, that I just ran and ran away from. Gosh, I didn't have an agenda. I thought that was your job. <laughs> no, no. Uh, typically, these shows don't have an agenda. Um, 
And, 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 but normally I feel like we color between the lines a little bit better than we did with you. Yeah. Because I, I, you have this. I warned I, you. I warned you. No, but no, 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 I don't mean that. That doesn't, that's not meant to be a, a negative statement. It's you have a broad base of skills and talents and stories. So we, we could have gone deeper in, in any different direction. So I just want to make sure. Yeah, did what did we overlook? Hmm. Let's see. Photographer, writer, media, outdoor industry, um, nonprofit work. I I I and then a whole bunch of outdoor stuff. I think that's probably most of it. Okay. So I saw a video of I'm assuming it was your your house. Uh, band practice. Are you talking about last night's band practice? I think it was. It, yeah. Okay. What do you think of the band? I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I get to see Ray again after a long drought. So, you know, he's down in Tacoma and we're up here and it's, it's not easy to get up that corridor these days on a weekday. So, I'm, <laughs> and they sound great, man. I got a three hour concert to myself last night. Mm-hmm. They sound great. I'm, I'm so impressed. Yeah. Okay. So okay. in the small town, small time they've been rehearsing. It's, it's good. I'm excited for them. Yeah. And, um, what else is Chris doing? Let, let, we'll circle back to Chris. Cause when, when I talked to him, he had just released the crystal monkey project. Yep. And his EP hadn't come out yet, uh, the latest EP. So that's out. Um, what else is he doing musically right now? Well, he's still rehearsing with Crystal Monkey and he is in Ray's. I shouldn't say Ray's band because Ray said, it's not my band, it's our band. Right. Um, and for that, for for those of you that are listening, it's called Grieve the Astronaut, um, which is kind of a, I don't know, how would you describe him? Mm, progressive pink floydish yeah yeah i think that yeah progressive pink floyd um with a uh what i'm gonna take because i you know they haven't they're not performing so it's like but more with a theatrical bent to them yeah like it's gonna have a, a a visual component um uh, yeah, I've always thought that the idea, and I, I don't know if you know how he named the band, but I asked him. Did you ask him that? I, I did, and I had forgotten. So I, you you feel free he to. Liked, he liked the idea of looking back on the age of the astronaut. Oh, I'm not going to oh. say this as well as he would, but the idea that the vigor that our society had back when we were first sending people into space and that mm-hmm. whole age and time, he wanted to capture that. So. Okay. That is not what I remember. So, <laughs> well, you might want to ask him again. Maybe I misremembered it. No, I don't think, I think I did. <laughs> let's, let's just be real. I think I'm the one that missed. Um, hmm. Okay. So, and they're practicing because I think they're getting, uh, there'll be some, a show coming up at some point. I think in they've spring. got a spring show yeah, date spring show. set. Yeah, yeah. We have to do the COVID thing, but right. yeah, that's the right. plan for now. So, so you've got a band practicing in your house. Isn't that awesome? It actually it is. Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's uh, it's great that they're doing that. And um, 
Are your kids musicians? Are they musically inclined? My younger one plays piano. My okay. older one decided the sciences were more interesting. Okay, cool. Both both are admirable. Yeah. So, well, since I think we've stumbled down pretty much everything, I'm it's you, you're fascinating story. So that's that's really very cool. I um, thank you for happy your, to tell you happy yeah. to tell you more stories if you want to hear more stories I just don't know what you want to hear so I think I think we've you know we're gonna what we can do is in the show notes so where's a good place for people to find out more about your book and your in your art how's that my website is usually easiest from my and I'll put a link to I'll direct link. buy my book link there I, yeah. I self-published so I don't have unlimited copies Okay. Uh, but I have enough probably for people to respond on this show. Okay. Um, I am on Instagram to Erica K 99. I just mostly post life thoughts there. It's nothing groundbreaking, but when I do new art and stuff, like I, I spent the fall making a dragon out of copper. He's 14 oh. feet long. And Oh, just a little, little ornament for the garden. And I, yeah, exactly. And I put him up on Instagram. So it's that kind of stuff. So what does one do with a 14 foot copper dragon? He guards my yard. He guards my garden. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much. As much as I, you know, make fun of myself when it comes to hiking and all that, I actually do hold climbers and hikers and, and climbers in high, high regard. So um, I hope that this is the year that you, you summit. Thank you, Scott. I I look forward to it. And it's been really fun. I appreciate your taking me on. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.